Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. It's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SENZ. No one knows what it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man behind blue eyes. No one knows what it's like to be hated, to be faded, to telling only lies. But my dreams, they are as empty. This is SENZ, just gone one o'clock on your Sunday afternoon. Ricardo Paul with you. It is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run and uh, also with us as per usual, uh, the Blonde Bomber uh, from Queenstown Towers, uh, former All Black halfback, uh, Justin Marshall. G'day, Marshy, how are you? G'day, uh, Ricardo. Good afternoon, uh, everyone. Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, quite weird to, I guess, after having so much rugby recently to have a, a quiet weekend of rugby um it's kind of uh, i guess it's a chance for everyone to reset and uh look at now changing the picture from super rugby obviously into uh, international rugby yeah well i mean that's the thing we've and we and you, you've always got a little bit of a lull uh, you know the irish are here we know they're here we've had uh, two squads announced in the maori all blacks and the all blacks so there's there's always plenty to talk about and then of course just over the ditch we know that the poms and eddie jones are, are going to be down in this part of the world which always makes life interesting uh eddie jones makes anything interesting doesn't he and uh, and, and they're going to be taking on uh uh wallabies team under dave rennie that seems to be going from strength to strength while england seem to be going in the opposite direction yeah there's no doubt that they're under pressure england uh, and obviously eddie jones will absolutely love a challenge which is, is coming to australia and taking on uh, the aussies uh, in his own backyard um, he certainly will I think have a few tricks up his sleeve. Uh, certainly, no doubt they're coming in under the radar with the fact that the the, the performance against the Barbarians was pretty abysmal. Uh, it didn't didn't go according to plan, uh, and his post game interview was a bit bizarre as well, uh, talking about going out there and having fun. Um, he, he mentioned if he didn't mention it once, he mentioned it a few times. And by hell, I certainly know that's not the way that. Uh, he usually would take a loss like that. So <laughs> I'm not quite entirely sure what those messages were. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's going to be an interesting series, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be very fascinating to see uh, what Dave Rennie can marry together and formulate uh, in terms of a pathway forward with the, you know, the talent that he's got to make a sort of formidable challenge uh, on the Rugby World Cup you know really important test matches against the All Blacks, South Africa, Argentina this year for him then in India tour uh, you know there certainly has been a lift I think in talent um, it'll just be uh, really fascinating as to uh, how competitive the Wallabies uh, can be and what style of rugby they're going to play Yeah well that's the other thing I mean do they 
there's a few different styles of rugby in the Australian game, isn't there? You know, we see the, the way that uh, the Brumbies play is very an English style, if you like, you know, but you, you tend to get something a bit different from, say, Queensland. Yeah, yeah, you do. And, you know, there's no, there's no doubt that I think that they've always had the ability uh, to, I, I guess, use their their skill set, which is which is in their back line. You know, they've got players that have good vision, good footwork, uh, you know, um, nice and explosive. Probably their biggest Achilles heel in, in recent years has been the lack of firepower up front. You know, their scrum tends to wobble a bit when he doesn't want when they don't want it to, uh, and it lets them down. Uh, the line out is an area where Australian teams, particularly through the era that I played, they they were very good in um, that department, you know, particularly off off the top ball where they could bring that back line into play. You know, they had exponents of the game around then, the likes of you know Justin Harrison. You go back to John Hills, um, you know, uh, the Owen Finnegans, you know, really good line out men, really good thinkers. Uh, you know, that seems to have dissipated in in, in the last decade, and and they're not as as fluid as and as lethal off line out as what they used to be. Uh, you know, you can certainly see that the, the Brumbies are very good in that department, but in a different way with the rolling mall. So whether he adopts that into the Australian outfit with, with a few uh, Brumbies players named in that squad. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that probably that's the biggest challenge for Dave Rennie is, is finding finding that balance of where they're, they're a threat, they're a danger, uh, and, you know, the, the, where they can consistently go out there and, and compete, you know, against the, the physical teams around the world. And, and there's no doubt that playing in the rugby championship will give them some information in that regard. Yeah, definitely will. Uh, some issues in the Australian camp around injuries. We'll talk more about that after 2 o'clock when Tom Decent, a Kiwi journalist living over in Australia now and working for Stan Sports, is going to join us. And we'll have a bit of a chat to him about uh, where the Australians are at and uh, what is going on ahead of uh, them, them meeting the English. Yeah, that, that was bizarre from Eddie Jones. That that Barbarians result. I mean, it wasn't... Uh, now, you play a Barbars team, there is a element of having fun because it's the Barbarians, and it doesn't count on your test ranking. I get that. But Eddie Jones mm. doesn't do anything for fun. Eddie Jones is all about winning, right? And even if they'd lost that by a point or four points or something like that. So if you'd ever been tight and they'd lost one, you could kind of understand that. But, man, there were some red flags there. They lost that test by 30 points, and for over half of it, they were playing 14. Well, this is right. And, you know, I certainly buy into the the style that the Barbarians bring. I've been involved in the Barbarians, and I, I certainly know what that week is like. Uh, it's pretty an pretty entertaining week. And, you know, it is all about uh, having some fun you know, getting yourself familiar with teammates that you're usually opposing uh, and now all of a sudden wearing the same jersey as you. So, you, you know, there's a getting to know each other factor. So that becomes quite social, uh, which is a good way to do it. Um, and, you know, obviously you bring talent, you know, across the board, uh, you know, into one team with different mindsets. That's about formulating some form of a game plan um, and sticking to the traditions of the way the Barbarians play. So, it's a really enjoyable week from that perspective. But I think probably what it doesn't carry is a great deal of pressure. You know, you certainly want to go out there and perform, protect your own individual reputation, but also protect the reputation of the Barbarians of playing 
a flamboyant, entertaining style of rugby. That's that's really important, and that is very much hammered home during the week. You know that that you don't go out in a barbarian shirt and die wondering. Uh, you know, so you know from that perspective, you know that's that's the way that the barbarians approach that game. You know, usually uh, the teams that you know you play against are much more structured. Obviously, they they have the the advantage of having been together for, for numerous years, you know, with the odd personnel change, but in general under the same coach. So they're, they're basically preparing themselves like Eddie was for a really tough uh, series against Australia. So you want to tick a few boxes, you know. You, you certainly are going to enter into the occasion, but you're not going out there A, to lose, or B, to get smacked by 50 points and set your tour uh, off on a really horrible note. So... Yeah, I, I would imagine he was should have been uh, way more pissed off than that. And, and the mm. fact that he was was brushing over it was really, really surprising. Because I know Eddie, I've been coached by Eddie. Uh, and I've obviously been, uh, I've, I've played in teams that, uh, you know, he's coached against us. And the one thing that he could never, ever admit, Eddie, particularly when he was coaching Australia against the All Blacks, is it, it was near on impossible to get a compliment out of the man. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like we like we, we we would put together a pretty complete performance and and you know beat beat an Australian team that he had coached and it wasn't anything to do with our performance and how well we'd played. If they Australia had lost on the day, either the referee had had a shocker uh, and you know it was it contributed to the the reason that Australia were ripped off, or B um, the bounce of the ball certainly didn't go Australia's way and we were lucky. You know he he would never give us a compliment for playing well. So. It's just not in his nature, and, and whether or not uh, he's, I don't know, he, he's he's played a, a, a really good bluff, poker bluff, and, and just kind of given that message to the media and looked a little bit like he didn't really care about the result and thought it was all a bit of fun, but inside the messaging is completely different, which I'd, I would suspect it might be, uh, and, and he's used it as, as fuel for that England side, and so secretly he's working away on the interior, but what we're seeing on the ex- exterior is something completely different because it doesn't add up to his personality and the way he coaches that he he took that loss the way that we all saw in the media. Now, given what you've just said and how much you know New Zealand rugby fans particularly love to hate Eddie Jones, um, did it give you any pleasure to see that England result? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, to be, to be perfectly honest, let's just take Eddie Jones out of the equation and just—I uh, got a lot of—I get a lot of enjoyment out of any time England get beat. To be perfectly honest, they're, they're a hard—they're a hard team at times to warm to. Uh, in saying that, I think probably—I think my balance shifted when I played over in England and the UK uh, and in Europe in general. And a lot of those guys that were playing for England, I, I came across on a much more regular basis through club environment or events or even at international fixtures. Uh, and, you know, they're actually not a bad uh, group of uh, blokes, really. Um, and they're, they're easy, much more easy to like. I just think when, when when it's England and it's Twickenham in particular and the swing load, you know, sweet chariots going and... Uh, they can carry on a little bit like pork chops afterwards. It sort of didn't warm you to warm you to them. So, um, you know, I certainly don't. I, I think that enigma sort of dissipated from me a little bit once I got to know them better. But yeah, in 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 brief, yeah, it didn't it didn't um, concern me to see. It surprised me though, Ricardo. Like you know, um, 
that, that that's you know the barbarians are capable on the day and they can just have a day where you know they've, they've still got a little bit of alcohol in the system and um they manage to power their way through a hangover and go out there and throw the ball around and everything sticks uh and and it, I, I beat um england playing for the barbarians so I kind of know what that's like, uh, you know, to be able to go out there and everything goes your way, but 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 getting smacked by fifty, mm. nah, that, that that that's probably the thing that surprised me the most. Yeah, fifty odd points on them, indeed. It's uh, uh, certainly a wake up. We are, aren't just uh, talking Wallabies, England on this uh, Bunnings Trade uh, Rugby Run. We will talk Maori All Blacks. We'll talk All Blacks. We'll talk Ireland as well. We'll get into that. After this here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at 17 past one on SENZ. Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with you. 0800 150 811 is our phone number or double eight double three if you've got any texts, uh, any questions or things you want to get off your chest around about uh, the Māori All Black naming, the All Black naming, the Irish test coming, what's happening over the ditch, uh, let us know, double eight double three. Now, Justin, we had a a couple of additions to the Māori All Blacks during the week. Max Hicks out of uh, the Highlanders, who's had a good breakout season, uh, gives them depth at lock. Cullen Grace, I guess they've they've heard a bit of a clamour for people saying he should have been in the ABs. Well, he's getting an opportunity uh, as part of the uh, Māori All Blacks setup. And Sam Nock as well is comes in as a third halfback between uh, behind uh, Brad Weber and TJ Pedanara. Um Sam Knock, the inter- that one Sam Knock interested me because feels like he's reasonably established at the Blues, but I haven't seen anything from him that makes me go, he's a rep footballer. I thought they might go down the line of someone who's new on the scene to give him some experience of the t- that type of setup, someone like a Cortez Ratama perhaps, um, who can then you know learn with Brad Weber and TJ Peranara in that in that setup. Yeah, good call. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, and the one that seems to have faded from, you know, being involved in any of the teams is um, Te Tuaraua Tahuri Arangi, you know, like an All Black, mm. not, not not that long ago. And, you know, found it really difficult to get game time behind Brad Weber at the Chiefs, ended up at the Crusaders. Uh, he's only really had a couple of appearances for them this year, obviously against two Centurions. Is never easy trying to get game time with Bryn Hall and, and Mitch Drummond down there. Uh, so you know whether or not they've they've given up on him, which I don't think necessarily. Uh, you know we, we've we've seen the best of of uh, Tahuri Arangi at at this stage of his career, but he doesn't seem to be being favoured anymore in that regard. So yeah, really interesting that Sam Knock has been has been called in. I, I kind of tend to uh, agree with you. He's been around quite a while and they know enough about him. I, I think, you know, getting somebody fresher into the mix like a, a Cortez Ratima would might have been a good idea. Um, you know, you would have thought that Clayton McMillan probably would have had some form of influence in that. I'm really interested to see how much influence all black selectors and coaches have on who they want to see in that Māori side. Like, ultimately, Clayton McMillan's the man that has to uh, control that side, and and it's his coaching pedigree that's, uh, you know, uh, uh, and his reputation that's on the line. So I would have thought that he wants to name players in there that he knows he can coach a game plan to and get the right results, because otherwise, you know, if you don't get good results very quickly here in New Zealand at that level, you find yourself on the the back burner. So 
because the Cullen Grace one for me was quite fascinating. Mm. I just wonder whether or not the All Blacks quite clearly had their side named two to three weeks before they announced it. Uh, but that was really when Cullen Grace was starting to really find some rhythm and starting to play well. And then obviously he had an outstanding final as well where he outshone many of the others that were included in the All Blacks. And I wonder whether or not they went, oh, God, you know, how, how do we how do we manage this? And, and maybe they put a call through to McMillan. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, the, 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 let's face it, at the end of the day, the Maldives are they're, they're facing a, a, an Ireland B slash C team. You know, um, Andy Farrell's bought enough players to factor in those midweek games. But he, he certainly won't be risking any of his top 25 players. Uh, you know, he he may very well give the odd opportunity to somebody who's going to be benching for the tests. Uh, but, you know, that, that, that that's very much going to be, uh, you know, an Irish team that is not as familiar as what we would expect from them, uh, you know, in terms of, of the test matches. So, you know, you would expect the Māori to be pretty, pretty well you know, dominant in those games. Um, but still, you know, given the expectation and the players that are in there, it'll be really interesting to see what style they play against the Irish and, and how they perform. It will be. Uh, I mean, it, it does have a, a bit of a feeling of this. I mean, this team, if you look at it on paper, has got some outstanding players, you know, guys mm-hmm. that I think people thought would be in the All Black shakeup, like Alex Nankerville, for example, uh, like... Brad Weber, um, there's some big names in there. That, given that the injuries in the All Black locking setup, uh, it's interesting that Max Hicks has been included now as part of this uh, Maori All Black squad because you know you got Sam Whitelock nursing that broken thumb, although it seems to be on the mend, but he's obviously playing with a needle in it. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't get through. You've already had Josh Lord, who was named as one of five, pull out uh, due to injury. So you really got three and a half fit locks in that all-black setup at the moment. Out of Isaiah uh, Walker, Leah Weddy, uh, Manaki Selby Rickett and Josh Dixon, who were the three locks named in the Māori all-blacks to start with, who do you think is most likely to get cherry-picked by the all-blacks if they need backup? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, look, obviously Josh Lord's throwing a real spanner in the works for the all-blacks there with with him being ruled out. They, they obviously had a succession plan there and were, were working towards his development, uh, and so now there, there is, has been a bit of a hole created. Uh, so, you know, you've got to think about who who fulfills that role should Sam Whitelock, um, you know, hurt his finger at training or early in this test series, and, and then they're really starting to tap into some limited resources um, in terms of players that you've seen regularly out there in, in an all-black shirt. Um, the reason I find it interesting question Ricardo is because I'm very much banging the drum and I won't stop banging it of players playing in position you know mm. players that play lock playing lock um, so we you know we uh, where do they see certain players um, fit, fitting into the mix you know um, so I'm, I'm kind of fascinated as to what their thought process is whether they experiment in that area or they they pick locks you know because they play lock you know, I think probably the Tom Robinson thing is a classic example of a guy that's a, a loose forward all of his career. <clears throat> he might have played the odd game at lock, but prom- uh, predominantly the whole time he's been in the Blues setup, 
he's playing lock, and then you find him playing lock ahead of uh, the the the, um, the Darius and the Romanos, yeah. you know, who are who are genuine locks who have played locks all their life. So you know that's that's probably the the biggest question. Um, things happen on a Sunday, mate, uh, and I don't know why, but they've happened to me right now because I've had an absolute brain fade of the the lock for the Chiefs. Um, who's, um, who's oh, to be a Lucy. Tupu Vai, there you are. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's all right. And, and 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 he's a classic example of you know where, where do they see him? You know he performs so well at lock, uh, but we but we still have question marks on who our who our number six is. You know, mm. and um and we, we you know we need to find that answer. And I'm not sure it's Akiriwani at this stage because you know I just don't feel that. He fits what we need in, in the balance of that back row. Uh, they obviously um, omitted uh, Shannon Frizzell. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that, that was a really interesting decision. Um, and, you know, the, what have they got? To, I know they named Tupuvai as a lock, didn't they? They did, yeah. Set up. They named him as a lock. So, a Lucy. that's right. So that, that's obviously meaning that they see him as a lock. So I don't know whether or not... Um, that's going to factor into it, but hopefully it is. And so then, yeah, you're right. It's just about where they see those next four players. Um, and as you mentioned, it's coming in, but also Walker La- La- Laweri, um, Selby Rickett, and, and Josh Dixon out of nowhere too. Mm. So, yeah, I, I can't really answer it, but what I would like to see um, is, yeah, those those players pick because they play those positions and play them regularly. It is uh, one twenty-five here on SENZ. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Uh, Dean from Dunedin has called through on 0800 Dean, have you got a question for Marshy? Yeah, I have, mate. I, like you, Justin, I'm um, more than a little bit perplexed as to some of their selections, but, you know, it is what it is. But for me, if Sam is out, and God, I hope he's not, just because of the experience, and obviously he runs the line out, it doesn't, I think he jumps at two. Shelby Ricketts, mm. for me, when Ash Dixon was the Maori sensational captain who should have been an all-black, he nailed Shelby Ricketts all day at two. Obviously, Tony Brown didn't like the kick because he never got a go. But um, with the Irish being so good, so dominant up front, oh, I think if we are in a spot where we've got to pick someone, we, we can't go looking for the World Cup just yet. We've got to beat Ireland, so I would not hesitate. I'd pick Luke Romano. ASAP, and he would. You need the grunt in the scrum as well. I think the Blues might have been a little bit exposed. For me, I would have started Romano and put Tom mm. Robinson ahead of Makira Yuani because his work rate for me, I don't understand how they picked the guy. But obviously, they see something I don't. And I know he's physical, but you've got to be physical every day, not just when it suits you. And it annoys me. But that's, I would go with. Um, Luke Romano, because he just, for me, he turned around that blue season. Just the, the several games that they won by the skin of their teeth, and he was there cheating and doing the dogged stuff that the Crusaders will do week in, week out, without fail, as a professional rugby player. And you've got to love that. And against the Ireland, that's what you're going to need. You don't, don't need no flash Harrys against them. You've got to have your ball to release that back line. What do you, what do you make of that? Justin, that that call, uh, Luke Romano, just to just to beat the Irish, not looking ahead to the World Cup, but just for the series. Yeah, mate, I, I have I have to agree, and it's a really good point you make because 
I honestly didn't think about it, but um, yeah, I certainly, I certainly think that uh, Leon possibly should have noticed early in that game that they needed, they needed that grunt that you're talking about and that experience, and they needed to make some form of a shift. And whether that was just straight out substituting, getting Robinson off, or it was switching Robinson to to the blind side and and bringing Romano on, but yeah, it's really interesting mindset that the All Blacks have to face, don't they? Is you know. Is it, is it about the now and getting the job done now, or is it thinking you know a year and a half down the track, which is looking at the Rugby World Cup? Because they obviously see Luke Romano as being you know not having a massive future left in the All Black shirt, but that doesn't mean that a guy can't go out there and deliver like he's delivered in Super Rugby consistently for well over a decade. Deliver for the All Blacks when he was an All Black. You know what you're going to get from a player like that, and absolutely you're going to get that firepower in the scrum. You're going to get that niggle factor that he brings but man he's also massively competitive he, he he just goes out there and delivers the same sort of performance I, like I remember doing him in the uh it was the Mitre 10 Cup it's now the Bunnings uh but regularly we were picking him as man of the match because for Canterbury because he was just going out there and leading and you know when you when you're think, talking about vacancies and um you know new All Blacks and a different-looking uh, side than what we're used to seeing, having that familiar face, that solid player that you know you can rely on, uh, sometimes is, um, I think, a, a real positive to have in the squad, not to mention the influence that they can have on others. So, bloody good point. Really well um, made, and, and I hadn't considered it, to be honest, but I am now. Yeah, there you go, Dean. Thanks very much for your call, mate. Appreciate it. No, no worries, mate. Love the show. Cheers, mate. Go well. Uh, Dean also made the comment, and uh, this is something I've heard from a couple of people, uh, but and a lot of they were a lot of it they were talking off the back of the final, but that Akira Yuani doesn't do enough, and that Tom Robinson would have been a better bet at six with Romano starting in the locking position against the Crusaders. I mean, we'll never know if, how much difference that would have made, Marshy. But where are you with Akira Yuani's work rate? Yeah, look, there's something that the All Blacks didn't make a secret of with Akira Ioane, uh, and I saw it firsthand um, going to the games uh, and, and, and we're, we're there nice and early <laughs> with TV, so, uh, you know, we're there four hours before kickoff, and uh, regularly, uh, before every test match, you would see the trainer mm. uh, with Akira Ioane, and he was just running shuttles and drills, and they were just obviously trying to up his fitness. He wasn't playing at all, he wasn't even making the 23, he was simply in the squad, but they were just working hard away at um, obviously increasing that work rate. So it's something that they didn't make a secret of, and, and they they were they were making sure that he made some improvements in that area. And then they started selecting him again. So they they've obviously seen something in his results, or more importantly, they've seen something in the way that he is now getting more around the field up to their expectation levels. Otherwise, they wouldn't select him. Mm. I'm, I'm sure of it. Now, whether or not everybody else out there in the country can see that um, is probably up for debate. Uh, so I think the All Black selectors probably need to, um, you know, probably give some clear evidence that they have seen uh, a massive growth in that uh, area for uh, Akira because, you know, uh, like Dean said, and, and I agree with him, um, and, 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 you know, it's slightly old school, but your six has got to absolutely work his nuts off out there. Like, you know, they're great sixes, the Jerome Kano's, uh, even Michael Jones, when he was in that shirt, uh, you go all the way back to, I don't know, the likes of Cowboy Shaw. Um, players in that six jersey, 
they just work bloody hard. And, and I think that's where Ethan Blackout has left a massive hole. Mm. Uh, I think, I, I, I'm certain they would have picked him at blindside was, had he been fit. You know, he's he's six foot three, he's 115 kgs, um, he's prob- he, he's mass- and his work rate is exceptional. And that that's what we needed yeah. Um, in that jersey. So I, I think that's probably why, to a degree, there's a possibility that's what, why Akira got picked. Just the to cover that. Blackout, yeah, the yeah. minute that Blackadder got injured. So it's a real, real shame that we can't see him involved in that mix. Um, I don't think they want to go for Sawa Cooler there. I don't, I, I, he's a number eight, and if they can't select him at number eight, and they select Ardy ahead of him, which I don't agree with, uh, then you know that that's just life. He doesn't he doesn't get transformed into a six. So who are we left with if it's not Akira? Yeah, well, that's the thing. There isn't another six. Me? I mean, there's Tupu Vai'i, who's played a lot of six this season for the Chiefs. He's the only other who one in the squad. Lock, but yeah. who they picked at lock. Exactly. And yeah. so they're, they're, they're quite clear that he's a lock. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, otherwise they would have found a place for him um, to balance out that back row. Now, I, you know, I, you certainly cannot play um, Ardy on, on the side uh, at six. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a real... It's a really bone a bone of contention of how we're going to get that back row balance right. Um, and I think I said to you, was it last week or the week before, Ricardo, how good it would be if Pablo Matera was available for the All Blacks? Exactly. Cause he's that he's that type of player that we need. Yeah, I did you know? see. Uh, he, he, sorry, yeah. I did see Hamish Mackay put up a post on his Facebook uh, feed saying, uh, yeah, "Alerting customs, don't let this man leave the country." And somebody sort of a New Zealand passport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, so. Yeah, look, uh, look. What was good about what the Crusaders did was they they still found a, a place, and that was a big back row, mate. You know, wow. uh, let me do my one, two, three, three hundred and thirty kgs worth of power in that um, back row with Grace, uh, Mateta, and Blackadder. You know, like that 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 was that's where we need to get to. You know, you're not going you're not going to get that if you if you're picking um, Sam Kane and Adi Savia and then someone else. We are not going to be Big and strong and uncompromising. We're going to be mobile, yes. We're going to have good work rate, yes. But we're not we're not picking a back row like the rest of the world is at the moment. Yeah, that's that's fair point. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Akira Ioane was an eight. So I mean, you yeah, know, he was an eight, and 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 then in the in the blue setup, he was always an eight, and then they shifted him to blindside. I think that might have happened in the All Blacks before it happened at the Blues. Um, yeah. Where do you think his best position is? Yeah, look, I, I certainly think he's explosive, um, and, and quite possibly, I think it's better suited for him to play number eight. The really, the real fascinating um, point of selection that the All Blacks made was the fact that they did they pick three number eights or did they pick two? Yeah, because they just picked Lucy's, you see. So it, ge- it gives everybody this kind of uneasy feeling of, you know, well, who fits in where. So did they pick three eights, Savia, Sotutu, or and, and um, Peter Gasawakula, or did they pick two number eights, and then they got to find a, a, a place between uh, Ardy, who's an open side, Sam Keynes, who's an open side, and then Akira uh, and, and Dalton. Who else is in? Dalton Papali'i. Who they've uh, played so, at six in the All Blacks as well. Remember? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes, yeah. So. You know what? 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 Because because my point is, if they've picked Ardy as a number eight, then they didn't need to pick. They had to choose between Sotutu and Peter Gasawakula, mm. so that we get that 
we get that other six in the mix. But they didn't. So I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe they have picked Artie as an open side because I don't think he can play on the blind side. But he's then going to have to displace the All Black captain to start. Exactly. So, and that comes the hell You know, and that's a conversation we've had plenty of times about should Sam Kane beat still be the All Black captain because he's not the best seven in the country. Uh, you know, or, or he's not, at least he's not guaranteed to be, you know, a starter every week uh, for the All Blacks. So. Um, yeah, mm. fascinating conversation. Your texts on double eight double three or 811 Get them through to us here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Paul, Justin Marshall, with you at Bunnings. There's uh, at Bunnings Trade that we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. It's 19 away from 2 o'clock here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Bull, Justin Marshall with you. Uh, just a little bit of unrelated rugby news, or unrelated news, it's not rugby, uh, from the UFC, Carlos Ulberg, the Kiwi. Another one of the CKB boys has just won his first bout in the UFC. Uh, first round knockout, Justin, uh, was superb. Started with a big right hook and then finished it with about three right uppercuts. Um, so uh, good to see Carlos Olbu get the W next to his name. Let's go back to talking rugby now, though. And Greg out of Timaru is with us. G'day, Greg. How are you? Yeah. Stuck stuck on stuck on a wheel on a walker prison like that's okay. Um Justin, out out of out of interest, last night going through YouTube a certain rugby match from Lost to Spurisville came up. And it was fascinating to watch three Southland boys, you and Goldie and Nibs, um when you won that game. It was quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I I remember I remember that reasonably well actually. It was uh, it was kind of the start of my my career really, but um, it was it was the good old days of of, of rucking and rough and that Southland team mate. They had some good old stalwarts in it that uh, that they didn't leave a jersey unscathed for the opposition. That's for, and sometimes for your your when you're a teammate, you got rucked over as well if you're in the way. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing Fitzy getting spat out, out the back of one, and he was womanly bouncing when he got out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mate, yeah, good stuff, Greg. Thanks very much, mate, for your call. Oh, um, hold a second. Oh, you've got a question for us? Right. Okay. Yeah, I'm particularly perturbed about these front row selections, Justin. They're really, really, really unusual. I mean, between Matt Fletcher and you. Is the boy's name Williams? He plays on the... Tamaiti Williams? Tamaiti, yeah. 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 And, and that Ethan de Groot, you know, we've got three young bulls there. You know, and, um, you know, Ethan de Groot turned those all-black all props into Bloomin' Mincemeat. <laughs> and you just have to... You know, and that's really, really weird. You know, and um, what's going to happen there? I, I guess you know there'll be all over somebody's face next after next week, anyhow. Yeah, look, uh, I, I totally agree. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very much of the mindset that you know, and and this is, I'm, I'm trying to be judgmental here and and, and make sure that I put in perspective, but. Because I know what it's like to be a nine. I know what it's like to be a back behind a forward pack that, that isn't dominant. Um, 
and only has parity, not, and when I say dominant, so you're not pushing the opposition around, but you only have parity, it makes it a little bit harder to only have parity. But I'm more of the mindset that we've had such a massive focus since Chrono came into the team about scrummaging that we'll p- we're picking scrummaging props and, and scrops, uh, props that scrummage only. And I think we've got to start to look at making sure that those props are balanced so they can still scrum and they can still have their moments, as you mentioned, and, and they can be dominant in the scrum. But they've also got the presence around the field. They've got the ability to work around the field. They've got the ability to play, uh, you know, more, more like a Lucy, carry like a Lucy, uh, because that's where the rest of the world have got to with their props. And, yeah, you might get the odd scrum that doesn't go favourably before you. And, and that used to sit really horribly with the All Blacks. And they'd get absolutely hammered by Chrono for it because they'd lost a couple of scrums and been pushed around. But maybe we just have to swallow that for our game to evolve. Maybe we just have to finally say, look, yeah, we're not, we're, we've probably not got the best scrummaging props in the country, but what they give us around the field will 100% improve our game, and we can we can swallow that for the for the for the fact that we've got to evolve and we've got to get better. Um, and I certainly think that those young players that you mentioned, Tamari Williams, Fletcher Newell, Ethan DeGroote, um, you know, that they're all players that are able to able to do that and give us that balance um, across the across the park. So yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with you, mate. Thanks very much, Greg. Thanks for your call. 0800 150 is our number. Bruce, uh, another uh, call from uh, down south uh, with us. G'day, Bruce. How you doing? Hey, gentlemen. Um, you there? Yep, yeah, we're here, mate. You got a question for Justin? Um, if, um, if we're looking at the team and, and um, Sam Kane is the captain, I assume you're saying he, he only plays number seven. Is that right? Yep. Um, would you not consider putting Scott Barrett in at number six and using... Um, Adi at number eight as a starting starting uh, loose trio. Well, I certainly think that there's there's always the capability for Scott Barrett to play blindside, and he has played there for the All Blacks before. Uh, so mm. it's it, it's whether or not the All Blacks are prepared again to take take a guy away from where he plays his best rugby. And, and I certainly think Scott Barrett, when he plays at lock. He plays his best rugby. I thought he was outstanding in the final. Everyone praised Sam Whitelock, but I certainly thought that Scott Barrett, some of the things that he did on the night, he was tough. He carried hard. Man, he makes some tackles out there. That, that's where yeah. you see him playing his best rugby. The problem for the All Blacks are, you know, does he start ahead of Whitelock when he's fit and Retallick? Probably not. So do they then go, right? Oh well, mm, we play him on the side of the scrum. But again, that's then... That's then compromising a player who, in his best position and plays his best rugby, is then trying to fit an area where we should have somebody that can play that position better than him because he is a lock. And it compromises our impact from the bench too, doesn't it? Because, I mean, I, I really like what we've seen from Tupu Vai, but he's quite a different lock and he doesn't have the experience or the impact that Scott Barrett will give you in that last half hour. Yeah, well, that's right. It affects the entire balance of, of the side. And, and again, it's, you know, there's no doubt that he can play there adequately, but 
I don't feel you get the best out of Scott Barrett from him being in that jersey. I think the best we get out of him, either starting or, as you mentioned, Ricardo, coming off the bench, is when he's in the position that he he knows the best and, and that he performs the best. And and that shirt's the one that he should be in. And he's he's just got to work hard to, to earn a starting spot for it and be motivated. It is uh, 12 away from two. Bruce, thanks for your call. Steve out of Auckland. G'day, mate. you got a question for Marshy. Yeah, I have, have Ricardo. Just a, oh, just a couple, and I'll get them in quickly. Hey, uh, Marshy, love you, love your work on Sky, mate. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank um, you. Question uh, I was going to ask about the props, but to be honest, you've pretty much covered it all off. But just a quick thing, just with the cartoon Nukuyafi selection, do you think we've missed yeah. a trick here, just considering that he's going offshore? By, yeah, by I do, mate. Selecting somebody else? Yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah. You know, look... <laughs> The weird thing for me is I got into this position as well, so I know the feeling, to be honest, because I announced before the British and Irish Lions 2005 that I was going offshore, and uh, and uh, I know that um, they started already making plans for whoever was going to be in that shirt of mine prior to the, to the Alliance series, and um, obviously I made, made that quite public, which, uh, you know, these things happen. But anyway, the, the, the fact of the matter is um, w- when there's a player that, that you know, you know that, as much time as you put into him, you're not going to get anything out of him post a certain date. You're, the, the mindset should be, we, we, we need to, even though we don't want to, do we need to win the series because we believe that that player is the best in his position? He's so clearly above everybody else that we have to select them, and we do. Or do we go, hey, look, we would like to have him, and usually we would have picked him, but he's probably only most likely to be coming off the bench. And we do have other players that are strong enough to fit that area and we also get the development through to World Cup and 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 past World Cup. So you exclude him and it's just unfortunate for him, but he's made his mind up on where he wants to go and has to face those consequences. I think, what, what do you think? Yeah, mate, I, I, go, I go along with you, but I know you've got to, got to get through a few callers. I just want to ask about the halfbacks. Um, yep. I've, I've got to say, this is my opinion, I think Brad Weber was a tad unlucky with the greatest of respect to, to Fletcher Christie. And, like, he's made the side. And it is what it is. But I just thought in that final, he needed to get the ball in the hands of the best player that the Blues have got. And I actually thought in that first 20 minutes when the Blues had opportunities to, to basically clear out of the red zone or even opportunities that were either open or blind, I've got to say on every occasion he took the wrong option at We'll get a take on that uh, from Marshy after this. Thanks for your call, Steve. Yeah, just uh, coming up to two o'clock, Marshy, uh, your answer to Steve's question from before. I certainly think that Finlay Christie didn't have the platform that he can thrive on and uh, he had to be creative. So uh, I certainly believe that if he plays like he played, particularly against the Crusaders at Orontario Stadium earlier in the year when the Blues beat the Crusaders, he was an absolute threat. So he's got to have the courage to take steps to bring players off his shoulder uh, and, and to challenge defenders around that ruck. If he can do that, he adds a balance to those three halfbacks that were picked that I think we can utilise. Um, yeah, probably wasn't his best day out uh, in the final, but many of the Blues players really struggled with it on the night. Yeah, good stuff, Marshy. Um, uh, great answer. I hope you uh, that answered all your questions. Steve, Tom Deason from the Sydney Morning Herald, up next. 
It's just gone two o'clock here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you. At Bunnings Trade, helping business is our trade. And joining us from the other side of the ditch is uh, Tom Decent uh, from the Sydney Morning Herald. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. Uh, what's the vibe like? In Australia, with uh, Eddie Jones and the Poms heading your way, is there a, a sense of excitement, or is, is is old Hamish McLennan sort of put a dampener on on everything in the last couple of weeks? <laughs> oh, Hamish stirring the pot! How funny! Um, now, look, I think everyone's pretty pumped. I mean, Super Rugby didn't go to plan for the Australian teams. Um, everyone remembers that England series in 2016, albeit a three nil loss for Australia, a cracking series. Eddie will stir the pot, we think. Um, Dave Rennie's had a couple of weeks to get his troops ready, so everyone's pretty pumped. It feels like the team that Dave Rennie has uh, put together here has a look to the future, but it has some solidity as well. He's got some old heads around there that can help guide these youngsters, but it feels like a team very much building for a World Cup. Definitely, yeah. I think, I think Dave this year will make a clear sort of cut on a number of different clear positions as well. I mean, the most notable is number 10. Um, we sort of rotated the three guys last year, James O'Connor and Clay Cooper, and obviously Noel Alessio as well got a crack against France. So um, I'll be fascinated to see who he goes with for that first test. Do you pick Quaid, who didn't play on the spring tour and, you know, steered Australia to five straight victories last year in the rugby championship, or go to a guy like O'Connor, who's probably more likely to be your guy at the World Cup? Um, I think that's probably the biggest one um, in terms of a selection point, you know, talking point over here. But, um, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what team he picks on Thursday. A lot of older heads as well as a bit of experience. They're probably more experienced in the last year or two. So he's built up a, a crop of guys who've sort of got those 15 to 20 caps under their belt now. Now, I know I've been reading uh, some of your work over the last little while. I know you've been asking uh, some of the great minds of Australian rugby, people like Tim Horan and Simon Poitivan, uh, Morgan Turanui and James Hallwell, their options for some key positions where uh, who they think should start. And in that 10, it's very much in favour of James O'Connor over Quade Cooper. I, uh, the question for me was, given the new rule, you're allowed to bring three back from overseas, was 10 the place that uh, the position that needed strengthening, given that Lollisio has come on? You've got um, guys like uh, Tane Edmed and, and, and Ben Donaldson who are coming through locally as well. I mean, will you be a better, not better off bringing someone like a Will Skelton back? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, I think Dave, well, Dave already spoken about the reason that he didn't bring those French based guys back was that the season was just too tight. I think he, well, he would definitely bring Will Skelton back as one of those three picks. Um, during the rugby championship. So that means that, you know, obviously Corabetti, um, Quay Cooper or, um, you know, Samu Karevi is going to have to make way, you would imagine, if indeed he does bring back a, a second row. Rory Arnold as well, Australia pretty thin in their second row stock. You have to say regarding other years, Isaac Rodder, um, he's got an injury, so he won't play in the England series. Unsure about the, you know, TRC at this point. So it's a very valid question. I think I'll probably send Noel Alessi up to Fiji to play. Um, for Australia A, if he's not involved in sort of the second or third test at this stage, but he's just sort of training um, in case there's a bit of an injury at this point. But, uh, yeah, that's that's flip a coin. So for a lot of our readers actually think Quaid should be number 10, which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, it doesn't feel like a move for the future, but I kind of get it. You just want to beat the Poms, right? 100%. Um, Look, Quaid came back and, and, and was a shock selection and, and played really well and steered them to five straight wins and sadly wasn't available for the spring tour. Um, but the, I, mean, I mean, the issue which a few of the experts touch on is that he hasn't been around the setup um, this year, hasn't been any of the camps because he's been playing in Japan. So, um, But, you know, all bet Simon Karebi, he's going to play at 12, hasn't either. So 
um, I think they'll be um, getting up to speed pretty quickly on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah, now, of course, another position, um, well, there's a couple that I'll go through with you. We'll start at uh, fullback, though, because for me, uh, you know, Tom Banks makes the most sense with the way that the Poms are going to play. But it's interesting to see, um, you know, a, f- a few shouts for people like Jordan Pattaya and even Andrew Callaway, even though that's not his natural position. I mean, from a selectorial point of view, we've seen back here in New Zealand uh, a guy who was, you know, a magnificent uh, fullback in Charles Piertau make his intentions clear that he was going to go overseas. And there was, after that, the, the All Blacks just refused to pick him. He just could not get back in. The, you know, they, they were like, well, no, you're off. Mm. You, you're going away, so let's invest in someone else. Um, do you think there'll be similar thinking from, from Rennie and the, and the Australian uh, powers that be? Or do you think that Banks is is probably going to be your number 15? Yeah, really good question. So Tom Banks is obviously leaving overseas as well. Um, that's flipped by the fact that Kirtley Beale is coming back to Australia. Now, he you know, went on that spring tour, played pretty well at fullback. Um, interesting, Andrew, Andrew Kello actually got a test against Scotland at fullback on that tour as well. So has played there at test level, probably not his preferred position. All things going well. If, if he continues his progression, I think they really want Jordi Pattaya to, to flourish there. I think they genuinely believe he's the best of the three under the high ball. The England are clearly going to kick the absolute bejeebus out of it. Um, that's probably going to be their tactic too. He's the best under the high ball. Tom Banks is okay, um, but the jury's really out about him at test level. I don't think he's really completely nailed that yet. Super rugby form's excellent as well, but a lot of those experts and people you talk to, you know, yeah, sure, he's been coming. He'll probably get a test or two, but I wouldn't be surprised they'd mix and match there throughout the series. Uh, what about your loose trio? Uh, Rob Valentini and Michael Hooper look like they're nailed on, but there seems to be a, a bit of debate about what happens at six. Uh, Harry Wilson gives you probably a better line-out option and a bit more size, but, I mean, Pete Samu just plays the house down every every game, doesn't he? Yeah, very tricky one. Uh, I mean, Jed Holloway's picked up a calf injury as well, so he was probably going to make his debut, you know, not necessarily at six, but maybe off the bench. So that sort of clouded things a little bit as well. Rob Valentini picked himself, you think. Harry Wilson um, is probably going to get that, that position at number eight and Pete Sarmer a bit of work off the bench as well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Rob Leota as well played a fair bit as well last year at six. Lockie Swinton, unfortunately, is injured, won't be involved in this series. Um, yeah, it's just about sort of what dynamic you want for that back row. But yeah, I'd I'd be surprised if, um, you know, Harry Wilson didn't go on the spring tour last year. He was told they'd need to be a bit fitter and work on his fitness. And I think his super form's been quite good. So he'll probably get that eight spot with Valentini at six, perhaps. Now, uh, the the one that really surprised me, seeing your uh, your four uh, wise men that you whose who's, uh, shoulders you tapped for, for some feedback on this, was at Hooker, where three of the four went for Dave Parecki out of the Waratahs over Falau Fainga. I mean, Dave Parecki has had a good season and he's, um, you know, a pretty good adept line-out thrower, but I mean, Falau Fainga feels like he's probably a stronger scrummager and... He loves a he loves a meat pie off the old lineout drive as well. So, which way do you think they'll go here? Yeah, it's a really really good question as well. Dave Parecki, they they really like him. They they brought him back a few years ago with the intention of trying to get him a wall of his cup. He hasn't done that yet. He would have debuted last year against France um, had he not got injured. So, um, he's been a bit of a project player for them. They feel like his lineout throwing is better than Falau's. Um, Falau's sort of rolling more work that clearly been a bread and butter of the Brumbies for a long time, probably superior as well. Um, yeah, very interesting, that There's a big push for Dave to, to get to get a, a debut. Um, but uh, Flower Fanger could definitely do a job as well. And even off the bench, you know, that's fine. Lucky Lonigan as well, an option. But I think, um, yeah, Parecki's got his nose in front 
among you know the Wallabies staff at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting, mate. I mean, uh, we've just seen the Poms, of course, um, ship 50 points to a Barbar's side, which doesn't happen very often. What was the reaction down there to that result? Oh, I'm not sure how much you can take out of that. They looked pretty embarrassed by that performance. Eddie Jones would have been privately seething at that, you would imagine. Um, that's a terrible prep to come over and, and play the Australians as well. They're not they're only just landed in Australia, so they're not going to have a massive preparation, whereas the Aussies actually got a bit lucky given the Brumbies bowed out in the semi-final. So when he got his hands on his players a little bit earlier as a group, I mean, there's 15 Brumbies in that squad. So, yeah, look, I, I, I really don't know what sort of performance you're going to dish up straight away. Um, I think Eddie will be prepared and he'll know what team he's going to pick and that'll be set in stone. But, um, yeah, certainly not the ideal preparation, particularly... You know, from a confidence perspective, coming off three losses in the Six Nations as well. In terms of the uh, the the names that aren't there, is there anybody that you went, how's this bloke not made the the, the squad? Uh, for Australia? Yeah. Oh, Reese Hodge, possibly. You know, you possibly could argue that Reese Hodge has a little bit of utility value there off the bench. He's done a good job for Australia in the past as well. Uh, you know, I probably would have uh, taken Noel Alessio straight to Fiji and, and given him a run in the Australia A stuff as well and brought Reese Hodge into the Wallabies group. I know he's going to... Um, he can play 10. He has played a couple of games at 10 for the Wallabies when they've absolutely needed him. A bit more utility value than probably um, some of the other guys as well. If you do start with O'Connor compared to Quay Cooper. So, yeah, probably the biggest selection surprise. But otherwise, Rennie's got a pretty good core group there. Um, but I think later in the year, once you get sort of you know, playing um, South Africa, Argentina, New Zealand, and you get the option of getting a couple of those big second rowers back from France. I think the three overseas picks will be fascinating later in the year, more than more than at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it feels like you've got outside backs to burn to a, to an extent. Well, particularly in comparison to your locking stock. So you know, having to bring uh, two outside backs for, uh, for part of your three just seems counterintuitive to me, mate. But it's going to be interesting to see what they end up doing. Tom, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat. No dramas. All good. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, Tom Deason there from the Sydney Morning Herald. Check out his work. Uh, it's extensive rugby coverage for the Sydney Morning Herald on the Wallabies. And uh, Marsh, anything stand out there for you, mate? Probably the fact that what's interesting for Australia is that facing the same sort of demons that we are here in New Zealand, which is, you know, do, do they get to the point where they're selecting players in their specific positions where they're best utilised? And, you know, you, you mentioned about Jordan Pattaya um, being sort of touted as possibly playing fullback, uh, Callaway um, equally. Look, f- for me, I think Australia have to get to the point where they are picking their best players in, in their best positions. And, and that means, you know, Callaway, I thought was, I mean, he came out of nowhere. Mm. And, 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 and like, I, I must admit, and if I ever see him, I, I probably need need to apologise to him because I was saying, who is this bloke? And and how on earth has he actually made the Wallabies? And, you know, the, the performances that he put in, uh, the, you know, last year were, were simply outstanding. Uh, and, and even against the All Blacks, he was very good. So he, he has to be a winger. Now, Jordan Pattaya has to has to start at centre. He's a centre. Like, the, the Reds messed around with him at fullback. They kind of had to do that because of injury, but the Wallabies and Dave Rennie has to pick him as centre. The best piece of work I saw him nearly doing the Super Rugby is when he when he came rifling onto the ball against the Crusaders and make an outside break like a centre does. He gassed Jack Goodhue, put a fend on a step. That's where he's best utilised. So if he can't start there, because Karevi starts there, 
well, that's just life. Um, you know, don't stick him on the wing because, you know, he's not used to playing there. So, yeah, that would be their biggest challenges. But, hey, when you go th- when you go through the list that Tom sort of mentioned and the players that have got the experience, the talent, they can't, they could be dangerous side if, yeah. if they come together. Yeah, now looking forward to seeing how that series does play out. It is 13 past two here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Justin Marshall, Ricardo Ball with you through till uh, three o'clock today. And uh, Bunnings Trade, uh, we're helping businesses our trade. When we come back, we're going to be talking the Irish team because we have uh, Jerry Thornley, Irish journalist from the Irish Times. He's down here with the team. He's going to join us next. It's 18 past two here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you through till three o'clock. Joining us now from the Irish Times is Jerry Thornley, a journalist on tour with the team. G'day, Jerry. Thanks for joining us. No, a pleasure. Uh, how's the how's your time being here so far, mate? And how how the team settling into the environment? Um, it's a funny one because uh, they brought up a squad of forty players and backup staff of close on thirty, so quite a big um, party of people. They're taking on quite a demanding, daunting tour. Not far removed from a British and Irish Lions tour, really. Um, playing the Mary twice in addition to three tests. They set off last Sunday and Monday in three separate um, long haul uh, charters and stuff on different routes and arrived. Um, so two days later, I guess, on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, had a couple of light runouts Thursday, Friday, and then had a really good hit out in North Harbour Stadium on Saturday. Um, we were told they'd a clean bit of health, but then again, you never really believed that from any um, coaching ticket anymore. Um, but then again, they've been struggling with jet lag, apparently. I mean, 32 of the squad have never toured abroad, uh, never toured in New Zealand before. 32 of the 40 players. Only eight have ever been here before. And uh, we were listening to Craig Casey the other day, and he's talking about like he's never been in such a long haul and never known anything like this jet lag that he had in the first couple of days. But that's why I suppose they're, they were in good time for the first game on Wednesday and ahead of the first test next Saturday. Yeah, I mean, how do you think uh, the Irish are approaching the Maldi tests? Uh, I mean, I, I guess, you know, you, you see, the Irish see them as tests, right? Yeah, ne- well, as, as as damn near as test as possible. The next, the next, ne- it may not be a test in name, but it's pretty much all an all but name, a true test match, and it'll be a true test in every sense of what is liable to be a relatively callow side. I mean, five or six players will have to double up maybe on bench duty both Wednesday and next Saturday, but and also they've got a bit of a juggling act in that a lot of some players are coming back from injury, haven't played in a while. Like Ty Byrne hasn't played since Six Nations. He's gonna need a game. Um, Connacht's season ended pretty early, so Bundiaki will need a game. Um, but then you're going to see, we're guessing, players like Craig Casey involved. Gavin Coombs, light on rugby as well. Um, so it'll be a youngish Callow side, maybe Nick Timmy in the back row, Keen Prendergast, Connacht Blanker, um, who haven't really been exposed to this level at all. So it'll be a relatively Callow side. It'll be a, it'll be a very tough searching examination against the Marys, that's for sure. Jerry, uh, welcome to New Zealand. Uh, I'm sure that you'll uh, enjoy your your weeks here. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the expectation levels. The Irish have never won a test match here in New Zealand. Do you think that this is a side that is capable of doing that? And do you expect this side to go back to Ireland with at least one test victory under their belt? 
if you'd asked me that at the end of the Six Nations, I probably would have been a little bit more confident than I am now. This is my, I think, my ninth or tenth time in New Zealand between the A Development Tour of 1997 onwards and various Irish tours, a World Cup, a couple of Lions tours. And I can never report, remember reporting them one all blacks defeat in all that time. And that was by the mm. Lions in Wellington in the second test. Um, so, like, I, you know, you, you arrive back in New Zealand, you're yeah, okay, this is the home of the All Blacks, different beast at home. And I presume they'll have been hurting ever since the back-to-back defeats by Ireland and France uh, last November. But this is, this is undoubtedly a, a very good Irish team. And Andy Farrell and the coach are building something very special. And the brand of rugby they play, the way they're playing, um, the confidence which they're playing, uh, it's more fluid, it's more passing orientated, it's more ball in hand, it's more heads up, there's a lot more decision-making on the pitch. And it's, it's great to watch. Like It's probably the most entertaining Irish rugby t- side we've ever had. And they finished the Six Nations superbly, you know, going over to Twickenham and beating England, completing the Triple Crown against Scotland. So only one defeat in, I don't know, something like 15 matches or so thereabouts, 14 matches, going all the way back to the Six Nations over a year ago. And um, they're building something very, very special. But then a couple of things have happened along the way. For each of the four problems, it was an unexceptional ending, even anticlimactic. And perhaps most so for the bulk suppliers, Leinster who lost the Heineken Champions Cup final in the last play of the game. Probably the best um, side in the history of the Heineken Cup in any given year not to actually lift the trophy. They, you know, by any metric, they had the most tries, the most points, the most passes, the best tacklings. They were number one in nearly every metric, but they came up short in the final against a very inspired La Rochelle team. And their, you know, Bruno Gara, the former Irish half of their head coach, who had lost the final a year ago and you know carried those wounds with them. And then so that, that was a huge disappointment, compounded then by a loss in the semi-finals at home to the, to the Bulls in the URC, precipitating an all-South African final. Now, let's put it this way. If the Bulls and the Stormers and the other two South African franchises had been in, still in the Super Rugby with New Zealand and Australian sides, do you think there would have been an all-South African final? Not a chance. Not a chance at hell. Yeah. It would have still been a, probably an, all, an all-New Zealand final. So that, that's, a bit of a, that's a bit of a sobering wake-up call as well, perhaps. So now that, yeah, now that the, the, the tour is upon us, I'd be very interested to hear, see what the, the All Blacks are like. I thought towards the end of last season it had been a tough year and you know, they've been spending a lot of year in, in lockdown effectively, you know, coping with the pandemic, an awful lot of travelling. And it was, there were was some excuses in the way they, their season ground to a halt with those two defeats. But I did think it highlighted the degree to which this All Black side almost became convinced in their own ability to suffer for 20 minutes, with, with, you know, absorb pressure, and then they, this wonderful capacity score once or twice in a flash. And they began to believe in that. And I'm expecting a much more improved blah, blah, or greater focus on actually trying to establish control a bit more in matches, maybe you know, improving their set pieces, a bit of more focus on playing off nine and not just playing the wonderful rugby and tries from their own line that they can conjure or turn over ball, but actually establishing a bit more control. And just the fact that Ireland have never won in New Zealand. Now that the series upon us, I would, and I would have said this even probably at the end of the Six Nations, actually, if Ireland do, this Irish team does get one win uh, over the All Blacks on New Zealand soil for the first time in history and return home with a 2-1 series defeat and loads of lessons learned about their strength and depth and one or two players hopefully coming through, it will have been a very, very successful tour. Yeah, I agree with you. And and I do believe that you know, the Irish on their day, if they are courageous enough to play that game that you've spoken about, that expansive game with ball in hand, 
then they will push the All Blacks. Speaking of the All Blacks, and, and it was good to get your thoughts on them and where they were at last year, how much do you know about some of the players that they've uh, introduced into the side? The list, say, Lester Fyanganuku, Caleb Clark, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, Peter Gussowakula, players that maybe a lot of the Irish players haven't seen a great deal of and wouldn't probably know their skill set as well as some of the others that are more regular. No, that's true. It does seem to me, in the way they brought in players, that they're they're looking for a bit more physical power, a bit more ballast, a yeah. bit more physicality, I think. So that's my interpretation of it, which goes back to the point I was making to you earlier about trying to establish a bit more dominance and control in games and not just living off their magnificent skill set. Uh, I do think there's, that, that there's an element of that. Um, I was surprised to see TJ Perinara left out, but then again, that was probably clever thinking because they know he's going to be rerouted to marry the, the Mary All Blacks game on Wednesday night at the sold out um, stadium in Hamilton, and that's you know he's going to be so fired up for that game, isn't he? So that's clever thinking, yeah. I suspect. And you know that could be that could be a wounding night for this Irish squad. You know, it could be a bruising, and it could be a wounding night both mentally and physically. Um, but yeah, in terms of the All Blacks, I think there's it's interesting, isn't it? Because was there 11 Blues players in the squad based on that 14 game on beaten run? I think more so than the Crusaders. I think it was nine Crusaders in the original squad. And yes, yeah. come the final last weekend, there's no doubt which was the more dominant side. I watched all of it, and like the Blues got one try from Finley Christie's bit of you know cheekiness at the base of a, of, a, of a Crusader scrum, and that was it. Um, their lineup was decimated. The Crusaders just did a, a number on them, and it just you know reminded everybody that you know as long as the Crusaders are around, they're still the boss, the bosses. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see as a result. Like, will they go? You tell me. But I presume they go. Richie at, at out half and rather than Bowden Barrett. I don't know, Richie, you remember? He, he kind of outplayed Bowden Barrett a little bit, albeit behind a much more dominant pack. So it'll be interesting to see how the All Blacks go about it. But it looks to me like um, they're fairly well primed with a lot of informed players um, and will be very, very difficult to knock over. And particularly in Eden Park, your fortress. What is it, 48 games unbeaten? Wow. Yeah, I think it's back to, was it 92, Marshy, when Jonah made his debut and we lost to the French? That's the last time the All Blacks lost at yep. Eden Park. That's right, yep. Yeah, so it goes back a while, Jerry. Uh, what about from an Irish point of view, mate? I mean, you know, Johnny Sexton's been around a, a long time. His understudy at Leinster, Harry Burns, been included in this Irish side. Um, he's obviously one to watch. Do you think he'll be the backup 10 off the bench? And some maybe who are some of the faces Kiwi rugby fans should look out for? Well, that's, the out half is a really interesting one. Um, there's no doubt that um, Ireland's depth chart in some positions, as you'd expect from a small, relatively small rugby playing nation like Ireland, um, is not as strong as it would be in New Zealand. Um, and this is particularly so across the front row, where Ronan Kelleher is missing. So for, at hooker, and you know Ronan Kelleher and Dan Sheen are two very much new breed hookers, young, dynamic, powerful, magnificent footwork, um, strong as oxes. Um, so we're missing Roland Keller, loose head prop and tight head prop. Ireland is very dependent, really, on Andrew Porter and Tyke Furlan. Out half, we've, Ireland have been dependent upon Johnny Sexton for a long time. I feel a little bit of uh, sympathy towards all the other out halves who've been backing him up because Johnny Sexton is a true generational player. He's a, we might, Irish rugby might never see as good an out half again. And it's, we should actually be just celebrating the fact that he's still playing at 36 years of age or 37 or whatever it is. And then he's taken such great care of his body and he's capable of playing such good rugby still. He's a, he still remains an integral part of this team. It, 
captain, it's talisman, it's creative uh, playmaker, this new brand of rugby, he calls the shots because he just sees pictures better than anybody else on the pitch because of all that experience he's conjured over the years and he's got the skill set as well and he's a pretty strong boy as well, a big lad. And so they, the rest are all pale by comparison to him. But like Joey Carberry's a classy player. I still think he's the out-and-out de facto rival stroke number two to Johnny. But then the third out-half in the squad has been fluid for years. Billy Burns has been tried from Ulster. Jack Carr has been tried from Connacht. Um, ben Healy's coming through at Munster. He hasn't been tried. And, that, and Ross Byrne, Harry Byrne's older brother, has been tried. And now they're going to Harry Byrne. I don't think... I think Harry Byrne's got two caps off the bench. And only one Heineken Cup match for Leinster off the bench. A lot of that has been down to injuries. He's 23. He's um, younger than Ross. He's seen as more of a, a playmaker. A, ball, a player can take the ball to the line. Who can, he's got good instincts. got good heads-up awareness. He's a natural footballer. A bit of a, running, a real running threat in his own right. So he's going to be fascinating to watch. Does he get to start against the, Mar- the new Mary All Blacks next Wednesday? Quite, quite conceivably so. But there's no doubt... His inclusion is based as much really on potential, if not more so, than what he's actually achieved so far, in large part because opportunities at out half for Leinster were sex and his older brother there have been few and far between, and he's also had a lot of very ill-timed injuries. Well, outside of Joey Carberry, who sounds like he's going to be on the on the bench wearing the 22 jersey, uh, what about James Lowe, Bundy Arkey, uh, Jamison Gibson-Park, you know, here in New Zealand, those are the guys that we know because they've played a lot of footy here. Um, are they in the starting back line in the first test, do you think? Um, like I said earlier, Bundy hasn't played in a good while, so the fact that he was brought out in front of the media on Saturday would suggest he's going to be playing against the Mary All Blacks on Wednesday. Um, Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose were the two outstanding Leinster players in both of those defeats that I mentioned earlier, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're the starting midfield. James Lowe um, was sorely missed in the URC semi-final defeat and probably wasn't fully 100% fit in the final in Marseille against La Rochelle. He got injured in the very last play of the game against to lose in the semi-final when helping set up the fourth try. Um, it was a shame for Leinster because he's a huge weapon for this Irish team and Leinster team. And Gibson Park, you know, it's really interesting. You guys probably would have, of all of those players, you would have expected Bundiaki. No big, great surprise that he would have become an international for Ireland. But I venture less so James Lowe and particularly Jameson Gibson Park. Mm. I mean, Gibson Park is 31. And Justin would be, obviously know him very well. But, like, Justin's amazing yeah. what he's become in Irish rugby. I don't think he would have become the same player in the New Zealand system. He came over to Ireland at 25 years of age, whatever it was, having, I'd say his grandchildren would get look at all his old jerseys, they'll say, Granddad, were there 21 players in your days? Because he hardly ever wore nine. He was just always a backup scrum half, wasn't he? To, mm. to very different players in the Blues and TJ Paranar and the Hurricanes. And he came over to Ireland and he was, he was the backup scrum half for a good bit of time to Luke McGrath and it really only come through since the pandemic. And he's become the heartbeat of the team. And he's displaced Conor Murray, who, as you all guys know well, has been, you know, an outstanding, world-class, truly world-class player at his peak. And Gibson Park has become the heartbeat of the team because his engine is ridiculous. His conditioning base is off the charts. Um, and he gets the breakdown quicker than anybody. And there might be one or two mistakes. But that's only because he's making a ridiculous amount of off-the-cuff decisions. I mean, it's a tough position to play, as Justin knows better than anybody. But like Gibson Park has just been 
an absolute revelation. And uh, he's now just in, an integral component of this team. Jerry, if I'm Andy Farrell, I'm thinking my, one of my biggest chances is Eden Park. I know it's a fortress, but I'm thinking ambush. Get in there. And the All Blacks, obviously, they are a bit slow starters on that first test of the year. They'll have new combinations. He knows his game plan, knows it well. So, so how much do you think he will show in the Māori game on Tuesday? Will he keep quite a, bit, quite, quite a bit back and then look to hit Eden Park with everything he's got and try and win that first test? Oh, I think you're right. I think they're going to go all out for it. They have to. And you're right. History shows that the All Blacks can be a bit more vulnerable in the first game. It's understandable. They haven't had a warm-up match. Um, you know, sometimes they might arrange a little game against oh, one of their Polynesian rivals or whoever just as a warm-up yeah. to get ready for a big test series. Um, they haven't had this time, so it is their first outing. If, if there's ever going to be a chance of Ireland to beat the All Blacks in Park, you'd have to think this weekend with this team, with Saxon, with everybody else, well, they'll go yeah. for it for sure. They'll have a big training week this week. Um, he'll put forward his absolute best side. And, uh, yeah, they'll be, they'll be going after a win, no doubt. Um, it, it's, you would have thought that they're going to, ever going to do that. Ireland do have good memory of Eden Park. They beat Australia here in the World Cup um, back in 2011. And uh, that was quite a seismic um, result at the time. Remember, it completely distorted the work of pool draw and upset the balance and put it all of a sudden hemisphere sides into one half the draw and all the European sides into the other. So they've got memory of that win. Um, look, yeah, it's, there's a chance, isn't there? There's a chance that if Ireland are going to upset the odds of Eden Park, this is probably the time to do it. But my God, it would be, a, it would probably be the biggest one-off win in the history of Irish rugby, wouldn't it? I can't think of any bigger one. Yeah, well, I was, <laughs> I was, I was talking to Steve Devine, the other, another former All Black halfback, the other day about that game uh, at Eden Park. It was honestly, you could have been in Dublin for that game because I think every Kiwi with yeah. uh, that could, could uh, you know, could claim a, a 64th. Or, or 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 less of Irish blood had a green jersey on, and certainly uh, certainly a big a big result, and there was plenty of Guinness spilt that night, uh, Jerry. Um, you, what's the, what's what's the travelling support like? I mean, how many people uh, do you expect to have come down to follow this tour from Ireland? Oh, you know what? I wouldn't expect that many, two or three thousand, because it's bloody expensive. It really is. You know the way fuel prices shut up, airline prices, you know, everything. Mm. Like, it's just an expensive place to come. Of course, I've heard of, some, you know, one player's parents is hiring a camper van. He's just going to drive around New Zealand for three weeks, you know, and all the parents and friends will be plenty of those. But what you will find, and you always find, with Ireland, and you, rem you reminded me of that time in 2011, there was another match against Italy in the pool stages in Dunedin. Um, and, and, and I think the crowd will say, let's say it was 36,000. All bar 20, about, were supported, who supported Italy. The rest, everybody was wearing green. It was like, that was even more of a home match. It's, Irish fans have a capacity. I'd say you have plenty coming from you know, Australia and elsewhere. Just Irish abroad. And then for an, for an Ireland play away from home, it's the, uh, it's the expats abroad who just make it into a, a carnival-like atmosphere. It becomes kind of a, an almost like a Patrick's Day, you know, the chance to just express their identity as Irish people. So you'll see plenty of green on Saturday. It might be coming all the way from Ireland, but we are we're dispersed all over the world. It'll come from all four corners. 
Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I, I know there's a couple of pubs down the viaduct already planning Irish celebrations on uh, next Saturday. Uh, Jerry, you won't be surprised uh, to hear. And uh, you can you can always get yourself a decent pour of Guinness if that's your drop um, at the Fox down the viaduct as well, mate. I was down there the other day and, and, and had a couple just to test the taps to make sure they were working all right and they're doing okay. So uh, there's, a, there's a cue for you, mate. That was above me on the college of <laughs> Mate, the things I do, the things I do. Hey, uh, Jerry, I really appreciate your time, my friend. Go well, enjoy your tour, and hopefully we can talk to you again. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Now it's a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. Talk to you again. Bye. Thank you. Will do. Uh, Jerry Thornley from the Irish Times there talking to us. It is uh, 20, uh, 22. Let me do my maths quickly. 22 away from 3 o'clock here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Paul, Justin Marshall with you. If you've got any questions for Marshy or any comment on the things that Jerry brought up there, get in touch. 0800 150 811 or double eight double three at Bunnings Trade. Helping businesses our trade. This is SENZ. The Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping businesses out trade. Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with you. And Marshall, off the back of that chat with Jerry Thornley from the uh, Irish Times, um, you give you, like I guess, a look from the other side of what they expect and where they think their weaknesses are. Yeah, well, look, I, I, you know, it's certainly really interesting to see the fact that there there are you know forty players to try and manage, um, which is never easy, and then yeah they are getting thrown into the mixer with a game uh, very sh- soon after they arrive here. No doubt they would have been preparing for that in Ireland, um, but you then got to adjust to the New Zealand conditions and environment. Um, you know they're in summer over there at the moment, so you'll go to a probably pretty chilly, possibly dewy night in Hamilton and have to deal with that. Uh, and and then also in the mix of the week you're dealing with first test situation as well so you you've got to think about which they'll already know they'll know the side that's going to play the Maori, um bar any injuries that'll happen at training um who needs a run like he said quite fascinating about Bundy Aki I would have mm. thought possibly that a player like Bundy Aki with all of his best uh, test experience now uh even though he's slightly underdone and hasn't had much rugby would still walk into that side anyway um you know probably be fresh and enthusiastic but Maybe they, they they might feel that he he um, won't be selected until the second test. I'm not sure, but yeah, I think just off the back of my question there to, to Jerry about you know a massive opportunity. I don't think there's any rocket science involved in in, in the fact that the you know the All Blacks will always play that first test of the year at Eden Park because you know and, and unless it's against with the greatest respect the second tier nation. Uh, you know, they, they, they certainly do have a, a, a historic um, background of starting quite slow in test matches. And it's that first test of the year. It's pressure. It's expectation. There's always new selections. There's always selections that are up for debate. Uh, and, and it does take a little bit of time when you haven't had a hit out uh, and you haven't had a, a test behind you. Uh, when you face a top tier nation, which they are like Ireland, that you want to play it at a place where you're bloody hard to beat. Mm. <laughs> so, um, you know, that I think hence that's why that first test is at Eden Park. But you have to look at it from an Irish perspective. That That's probably where you'll get the All Blacks the most vulnerable in the entire series. When they, they are obviously trying to find their rhythm, find their mojo, there will be selections that are uh, going to be um, costing combination because they'll be new. I, I certainly think when you look at the squad that there, that there will be a bit of that. 
and the, the conversely the Irish know the type of game plan that they can beat the All Blacks with and 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 they they know the game that they they don't have to evolve their game their game is where they need it to be we know that we need to evolve our game because the likes of Ireland are beating us away from home so it's it's a fascinating duel and mindset leading into Eden Park because you've got one team in Ireland who are very established who are very selection um, assured very much know their game plan know how to break the All Blacks down and expose them and 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 you know, get get them on the back foot because it's they've, they've managed to do that in recent years, including last year. Uh, and and then the All Blacks trying to find their mojo, their rhythm, and obviously they they know they need to change the way they've been playing in the last couple of years. Yeah, and, and there's going to be sounds like some tests for not just the All Blacks but for the Irish as well. I, I, you know, they've got a couple of very young hookers over here. Mm. So I mean, given what we saw the Crusaders do to the Blues lineout at Eden Park, you know, sort of a week and a half ago. Uh, Can we see a rinse and repeat, given, you know, our two main jumpers could potentially be Whitelock and Barrett again? Yeah, they could do, Ricardo. And and that will obviously be an area of concern for Andy Farrell, that they don't have the experience in in that department. And so he'll be wanting to make sure that that rhythm, that synergy isn't affected. And when they come up against experienced players, you know, like your Whitelock and and Ritalik and co um, trying to break you down in that area that that makes even you know more pressure and, and makes it harder but but I think probably the point that I kind of want to reinforce is yes having new players in certain jerseys for Ireland will, will have a little bit of an effect because they are a bit greener and, and a bit more raw than the players that are more established but the the, the, the makeup of the side the crutch the the engine room of the side, is pretty much the same. So the Gibson Park Sexton combination that are driving this game plan, um, and it's a game plan that they've been playing for the last, you know, three years, two to three years. They know what they're doing. The All Blacks, where they were at last year, have to evolve. We have to see a different mindset, and we in the areas of the the field we want to play, and the game plan that we want to to impose. Uh, and moving forward to a Rugby World Cup, we have to change the picture from the picture that we've been painting. So the generals will be trying to do this in a test match against the top-tier nation, having not played before. Interesting Uh, tech. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, that's all I want to say. That's very much, you know, they... uh, It's interesting, isn't it? Like, I'm I'm thinking to myself, rightio, I think if we played a certain way, we could go out there and probably beat Ireland at Eden Park. But is is that where we want to get to in, in the long term? Mm. So we could probably go out there and play quite a territory-orientated game, probably suffocate them a bit, peg them down in, 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 in our conditions, in our environment, at Eden Park, and grind out a win. But where the hell is that going to get us, Ricardo, and where we want to get to? Yeah, it's a great question, Or are actually. we going to be courageous enough to... And Foster knows this. He knows that he has to evolve. He knows he has to change the mindset of the way that we've been playing uh, and let players play on instinct as well, not not let them, not, not have them contained within a game plan where they don't thrive. You know, you, you can't allow wingers like Caleb Clark flying a Nuku, Seven Reese, uh, Will Jordan, should he get selected on the wing, you, you stick staying out on the wing waiting for the ball. They have to play the way that they 
are best utilised, and that's with that ability to roam and play, inst- play instinctively, which the All Blacks haven't been doing in recent years. So are we going to have the courage in a first-up test with all that pressure where we could play one way and probably win, or are we going to go have 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 the you know the character and the and the maturity to go out there and impose ourselves in the way that we want to play moving forward straight away? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting point. Looking forward to it, and look forward to the answer to this question from you, Marsh. You will do this before we uh, before we wrap, but uh, we'll take a break first. But Ken has texted through saying Henshaw Ringrose midfield. That's class. Watch them for Leinster. I hope New Zealand pick a combination to match them with speed. Thanks for your text, Ken. Marshy, have a think about that for the next couple of minutes and we'll come back with who you think the All Blacks should select in midfield for that first test. In today's Voltaren Rapid 25 wrap-up. A trio of former All Blacks have helped Rugby New York win the Major League Rugby Comp in New York as they beat the Seattle Seawolves 30-15 in the final. Andy Ellis, Waisaki Naholo and Nehe Milnaskara were all part of the championship side. Of course, the club run by Rick Salizzo as well. Boy, I tell you what, there's a turn up for the books. Put Rick Salizzo in charge of New Zealand rugby. We'd see some fresh ideas then. Don't let back pain get in the way. Get fast relief with Voltaren Rapid 25. Read the label user directed. If symptoms persist, see your doctor. Incorrect use may be harmful. Do not use if you have stomach ulcers. GSK Auckland. All right, Marshy, we've got about a minute. Give us your midfield for that first test. Well, pondering over your question, Ricardo, I thought to myself, is that question, who do I think the All Black selectors will select in those positions, or who would I select? So I'm going to give you both. Okay. Um, so, I, And this is based on where the All Blacks obviously picked their squad and had players in specific areas. So, for example, they had Rico in the centres, and they had someone like Geordie Barrett on the wing, uh, or in the back three at fullback. So I think they, that I think that they will pick for the first test. I think they will pick David Harvelli and Rico at centre. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was me and I was picking the side, I would pick Geordie Barrett at twelve, and I would pick Jack Goodhue at uh, at centre. And I'd pick Firing Anuku and Sevu Reese on the wings and Will Jordan at fullback. There's plenty of pace in that team, mate. Good stuff, Marshy. Uh, we've done it again. Another Bunnings trade rugby run, mate. And this time next week, we'll have two tests to talk about effectively, uh, plus the Poms and the Aussies as well, mate. It's all happening. The Bunnings trade rugby run back from 1 o'clock next Sunday. Marshy, go well. Go well, mate, and go the Maroons. Yes, boy. Wrap it up tonight. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.